Hello and welcome to Kerrang! Back Issues. I'm your host Stephen and this week we will be looking at issue number 533, February the 18th, 1995, £1.45. Pence. This is the seventh episode for 1995, so you know we're making progress, we're getting through them. Um, the cover stars for this week is Slash from Guns N' Roses, so this will be the second cover that Guns N' Roses or affiliate members of Guns N' Roses have had um, in the space of seven ep- seven issues. So by my calculations, I'm not even going to do the maths on this because <laughs> I can't do it. But I think they're looking at about seven or eight covers for this year. It's it does feel, in hindsight, it does feel a little bit silly how much they are on the cover. But as always with this stuff, we have to remember that they, you know, alongside Bon Jovi and Metallica, were the biggest band in the world at this point. And I can, you know, almost guarantee that putting them on the cover would just mean that they would sell a ton of issues. Um, you know, Slash has got his solo album out, so that does make sense. Uh, but anyway, I just think, as much as I love Guns N' Roses, it just does feel like overkill. Anyway, this week's issue, as I said already, Slash is on the front cover. And what they've done is they've spelt out the word Slash, but put a word for each letter. Suicide, lies, axle, snakes, heavy metal. Solo gun opens fire. Offspring and Faith No More UK dates. Fans arrested in Pantera US riot. Bruce Dickinson meets Bad Religion, a punk metal collision. Wild Hearts, what the hell's going on? Blow, exclusive LP offer. Poison, Nirvana, Bon Jovi, Honeycrack, Misery Loves Company, Senseless Things, exclusive Pearl Jam hit the studio, plus Queensryche, Caius and Skid Row posters. Bloody hell. I don't remember Kerrang putting this much on the cover previously. They really are packing it in. And uh, we'll get there in a moment. But there is a news story this week. Uh, this week? <laughs> There's a news story this week from Poison. And the headline for it says, We sound like Pantera. <laughs> that really made me laugh. I really enjoyed that. In no uh, world has Poison ever sounded like Pantera. So I look forward to getting to that one. If you would like to get in contact with us here, we can be contacted through Instagram at Karangback Issues, Twitter, Karangpod, and email karangbackissues at gmail.com. And if you would like to leave us a review on Apple Music or Spotify, I know, boo hiss, <laughs> Spotify, everyone seems to be against them at the moment. Fair enough, they pay their, um, you know, um, musicians, what is it, 0.0003 pence per song play or something ridiculous. If you'd like to leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Music, that would be lovely. I totally understand if you cannot be bothered, but it would make my day, and surely that's all you want to do. Anyway, <laughs> let's move on to this week's issue. Starting with a swift word from the editor. For a second back there, it looked ominous, like laughter, lager, and a loon in the round were right out of the window. That is, until last Thursday night. There we were, crammed into London's Astoria, when the Hollywood Harpies L7 exploded across the boards, made a racket, made a mess, and brought a grin to the face of anyone willing to get down and get with it. It was glorious. It was senseless. It was sweatier than a rugby player's jockstrap. More importantly, it was fun. Somehow, we took this burst of pure, unadulterated entertainment as a sign of things to come. In fact, that's what Kerrang! has always been about. What's more, we want to continue to entertain you each week with the finest package of news, reviews, interviews and general malarkey that we can muster. This week, among the sauna-like conditions of gigs by the likes of L7, Queen's Right, Caius and Killing Joke, we feel as though we've managed to serve up a mighty dose of mega-watt mayhem. 
From the all-revealing cover feature with Guns N' Roses band Slash, through to an exclusive Pearl Jam and Nirvana report and onto a behind-the-scenes peek at Bruce Dickinson's radio show and his session with Bad Religion, Kerrang! goes where other magazines fear to tread. In fact, 9 times out of 10, Kerrang! goes places where most other mags ain't even on the guest list. As usual this week, we also bring you a ton of new talent. Details of Kerrang's rapidly approaching Class of 95 club night at Rock City on February the 27th are on page 49, plus on page 40 you'll find a chance to get your mitts on the first recordings by Hot Brick Combo Blow. It's another offer exclusive to Kerrang, the world's loudest magazine. Of course, we hope you dig it, but remember that we're relying on you, the faithful Kerrangsters, to tell us what you want to see and read about in your favourite mag. Tell us what you want, tell us what you need, this is your mag, use it. Till next week, stay clean. Phil Alexander, editor. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Starting this week where we always begin, Mayhem, the hottest news in metal first. Rocking in the free world, Pearl Jam record brand new material with Neil Young. Seattle superstars joined forces with their old mate to lay down four new tracks. Pearl Jam and Neil Young lined up for Lollapalooza. Veda and co set to play massive UK outdoor show. Pearl Jam have been working on new material with the legendary Neil Young Mayhem can exclusively reveal. The Seattle Superstars frontman Eddie Vedder, guitarist Stone Gossard and Mike McCready, bassist Jeff Amen and new drummer Jack Irons teamed up with Young in Seattle's Bad Animals studio complex last week. Steve Lawson, who co-owns Bad Animals with another of the city's multi-platinum combos heart, confirmed that the star-studded session had taken place. They recorded Pearl Jam style, he revealed. They set it up like a live show. The star-studded trip laid down at least four new tracks in a mere two days, one of which was a cover of the classic young standard act of love. As yet though, there are no details on what the other tracks were or any news on when or if they'll be released. Nevertheless, this unexpected bout of recording continues the close relationship that Pearl Jam have forged with Young over the past couple of years. Indeed, this latest collaboration continued when Young joined Pearl Jam on stage on February the 5th and 6th during two secret shows the band played at Seattle's Moore Theatre. Admission to both shows, where the band were billed as the Piss Bottle Men, was restricted to members of Pearl Jam's fan club, The Ten Club, with no tickets being sold to the public on either night, and security outside the Moore Theatre on both nights was extremely tight. Fan club members were sent a letter notifying them of the shows, and a free ticket for one of the nights. The letter read, if you are unable to attend one of the shows, please do not sell this ticket. That would not be in the spirit of the event. This is our way of saying thank you. A few days after the Seattle shows, Pearl Jam performed to 7,500 people at the University of Montana's Harry Adams Fieldhouse in Missoula. This was the band's first major US date since they played two Voter for Choice benefits in Washington DC in mid-January. The band's plans are surrounded by rumour and conjecture. The most prominent at the moment is they will be special guests to Neil Young on this year's Lollapalooza touring circus, although nothing has yet been confirmed. In addition, rumours persist that Pearl Jam are either planning to headline the UK's Phoenix Festival this summer or to stage their own massive unannounced outdoor show in this country. However, according to a spokesman for their record label, Epic, the band will not play any UK dates until at least the end of the year. Stock Press and Thunder are currently lining up a full UK tour which will kick off at the end of April. The band begin their behind closed doors trek with dates in Europe next month. Queensryche will play an acoustic show at the Virgin Megastore Marble Arch on March 10th at 12.30pm. Soul Asylum are currently holed up in a New York studio working on the follow-up to their multi-platinum selling Grave Dancers Union Platter. Knob Twiddler Butch Vig is at the helm. 
Wasp star Blackie Lourdes is set to sign a new record deal in Europe with Raw Power. All Riot on the Night, Pantera. Pantera's far beyond driven US tour has been hit by a riot in Shreveport, Louisiana. The trouble started when the band vocalist Phil Anselmo, guitarist Dimebag Darrell, bassist Rex and drummer Vinnie Paul cancelled their gig at the local Hirsch Memorial Coliseum on January the 31st and the last minute because they felt the seating arrangements inside the venue were unsafe. However, when news of the cancellation was relayed to the 2,900 fans queuing outside the Coliseum, they began rioting. Shreveport police officers clashed with the fans and four arrests were made. Two people have since been charged with battery, one with inciting a riot and bizarrely one with cruelty to a police horse. The band's manager Walter O'Brien immediately issued the following statement on their behalf. In regard to the cancellation of the Pantera concert on January the 31st, Pantera's contract with the promoter stipulated that we would not play with temporary chairs placed on the auditorium floor because these can become dangerous when fans throw them around. The promoter and the building owner were aware of this, but the building owner neglected to tell the promoter or Pantera about a change in the fire regulation that required the chairs. Rather than risk fans getting hurt, the promoter and Pantera chose to cancel the show. Unfortunately, the police and the fans outside the building seem to have overreacted to what was simply a cancellation of a rock and roll concert for reasons of their own safety. On February the 1st, the Shreveport Times ran a story about what they called a disturbance. It included a rundown of the events leading up to the riot, a list of the various charges the police were pressing and Pantera's response to the events. However, it would appear that the Shreveport police are taking the matter rather less seriously than anybody else. Indeed, in their view, there was no riot outside Hirsch Memorial Coliseum on January the 31st. A spokesman for the police told Mayhem, There was no report of a major incident outside the Coliseum. It also seems highly unlikely that either the owners of the Hirsch Memorial Coliseum, the Shreveport Police or the fans themselves would attempt to take any legal action against Pantera. The band have of course been on the receiving end of several lawsuits in the US recently. In addition, Pantera's highly successful Fail Beyond Driven US tour has since continued without incident. It's due to finish on April 2nd in Las Vegas. Faith No More will play six low-key shows in the UK in May. These will be the US Superstars' first dates in this country with their new guitarist, Dean Mentor. The tour runs as follows. Portsmouth Pyramid Centre March 2nd, Northampton Road Menders 4th, Norwich UEA 5th, Glasgow The Garage 10th, Manchester University 11th, London The Forum 13th. Tickets for each show are available now from the usual outlets price £10 and, in an effort to stop tout buying up huge numbers of tickets, they will be limited to four per person. Faith No More fans should also look out for a secret gig the band are set to play in an as yet undisclosed London venue on February the 22nd. We'll bring you more details on this as soon as we get them. Offspring, the West Coast Oiks who've taken the US by storm, will tour the UK in April. The Platinum Punksers will play Nottingham Rock City April 25th, Glasgow Plaza 26th, Manchester University 27th, Wolverhampton Civic Hall 28th and London Brixton Academy 29th. Our attitude is that if people in any particular country go out and buy our records then we should go and tour there, says frontman Dexter Holland. The foursome, completed by guitarist Noodles, bassist Greg Kay and drummer Ron Welty, have already sold more than 3 million copies of their second album Smash in the US. The best thing about all this success is that it means the type of music is being accepted by so many people, Holland considers. Of course, now these major labels will try and make it a trend, just as they did with grunge, but that's life. From our point of view, when Smash hit big, we had A&R guys from labels driving us crazy. It became very annoying after a while, but once we committed to staying with Epitaph, they got the message and left us alone. 
Skid Row will release their eagerly awaited new album Subhuman Race on March 27th. The New Jersey Quintet have spent the past four months in Vancouver, Canada with producer Bob Rock. It was tremendous learning experience, infuses Sabo. There was so much passion expanded that I look back and I really feel privileged to have been part of the whole thing. Subhuman Race will be the Skid's first album for more than three years. There's been a lot of shit to soak up, explained Sabo. Rachel came up with the album title and it's just totally made sense. There's been no respite from the crap that's going on in the world, from hard news war to sensationalist media bullshit. And Subhuman Race covers all of this and more. But for the full scam on the album and Skid Row's plans for world domination in 95, tune in to Mayhem next week. Poison, the reactivated glam titans are putting the finishing touches to their sixth album in LA with producers John Pudell and Dwayne Barton. As yet untitled, it's due for release in May. According to frontman Brett Michaels, if you can mix Pantera and Tom Petty together, there may be a bit with the spin doctors and the energy and balls of the first Poison album that about sums a new LP up. Blue Saraceno, the new Poison Axe man, is a big fan of Pantera and we definitely have some of that energy. Whereas I lean a bit more towards what a Tom Petty would do or ACDC. The songs are much more rhythmic than anything we've ever done, but it's still a hard rock record. Michaels and co have recorded 17 new songs and there's been no attempt to do a Motley Crew though and go alternative. No insist Brett, if I'm going to have to change to play what people want I might as well be in a cover band. The reason our band has survived to do our sixth album is we've always managed to do exactly what we want to do. Our record company doesn't even come into the studio. Records News and Bathory, the seminal black metal outfit are to release a new album as yet untitled for the Black Mark label during May. Bathory main man Quofon will release his second solo album later this year. Carcass, the Merseyside death metal combo have just begun work on their fifth album with producer Colin Richardson at Rockfield Studios. As yet untitled, the album should be issued through late spring or early summer by Columbia and is their first release on the major label. The track listing is set to be chosen from the following, Firm Hand, Generation Hex, Edge of Darkness, Room 101, Emotional Flatline, Black Star, Tomorrow Belongs to Nobody, Blood Splattered Banner, Ever Increasing Circles, Keep On Rotting in the Free World, Cross My Heart, Hope to Die, Polarized, I Told You So, Rock the Boat, Child's Play, Ministry of Truth, and Go to Hell. Collective Soul, the US Platinum Rockers, issue their second album, imaginatively titled Collective Soul, through East West during mid-March. The band hope to reschedule their recently postponed UK tour shortly. Death and Chuck Schuldiner and his new lineup have confirmed that they will issue an album titled Symbolic through Roadrunner on March 27th and is produced by Jim Morris at Morris Sound Studios. Joining guitarist vocalist Schuldiner on this record are drummer Gene Hoglund, bassist Kelly Conlon and guitarist Bobby Coitball. That is a t tough one to pronounce. Bobby Colball. Colball. Day aside, the new album Once Upon a Cross from the Florida Deathsters will now be issued during May by Roadrunner. Fear Factory, the second full album from this much-touted extreme metal band is expected to be released during May through Roadrunner. It's titled D-Manufacture and was produced by Colin Richardson. Quicksand, the hard-hitting influential New York outfit issued their second album Manic Compression through Island Records on April the 18th. Trouble, the legendary Chicago Doomsters will issue their long-awaited new LP through Bulletproof Music for Nations on April the 3rd, its titled Plastic Green Head. And finally, Van Halen, the legendary metalers, have three LPs reissued by Warner Brothers during mid-February. Van Halen, 1984 and 5150. 
Tour news and corrosion of conformity, the Carolina band have now been confirmed as one of the support acts on the forthcoming Megadeth tour, the dates for which are Belfast, Ulster Hall March 9th, Dublin SFX 10-11, Manchester Apollo 13, Wolverhampton Civic Hall 14, Glasgow Barrowlands 15, Leeds Town and Country Club 16, Plymouth Pavilions 18, Newport Centre 19, London Brixton Academy 20. A third act will shortly be confirmed for the tour. Bruce Dickinson Band, the former Iron Maiden frontman and his boys will be touring the UK during April, playing the following dates, Nottingham Rock City 7, Bradford Rio's 8, Glasgow Garage 10, Dublin JB's 11, Bristol Beer Keller 12 and London Astoria 14. The band issue a live album titled Alive in Studio A through Raw Power Castle on February the 27th and they'll be making personal appearances at the following shops. Manchester HMV February the 28th, Bristol HMV March 1st, Leeds HMV 2nd, Derby HMV 3rd, Birmingham Virgin Megastore 4th, Bradley Hill HMV 5th, London Oxford Street HMV 6th. All these appearances will be at 4.30pm. The band will also be making personal appearances at the following clubs. Hereford Exposure Rock Cafe March the 1st at 9pm, admission is free. Newcastle Lucky's Rock Bar 2, 9pm, free admission. Nottingham Rock City uh, the 3rd, 10.30, admission is £3.54. Birmingham XL's Rock Club on the 4th, 10.30pm, admission is £3.54. West Midlands Exposure Rock Cafe on the 5th, 9pm, admission is free. Freak of Nature, Mike Tramp et al. have been forced to cancel their recently announced return visit to these shores. For full details, see next week's issue. The proposed support act for the tour, Apes, Pigs and Spacemen, have issued their own statement apologising to fans hoping to see them on this trek. However, they will be supporting Warrior Soul during March, as well as undertaking their own headlining dates announced last week. Please note, however, that the band's date at Morecambe Dome on February the 17th has now been cancelled. Shoots Groove, the American hardcore rappers play a one-off date at London Camden Palace on February the 21st following on from their support stint with Killing Joke. There will also be a special launch party that night for the Natural Born Killers soundtrack, which will include free t-shirts, posters and CDs. Shoots Groove will also be supporting Downset on their April tour. Abstract Records will be issuing a four-track CD EP featuring both Downset and Shoots Groove on March 13th titled Generation of Hope. It will have Touch Live Body Cry from Downset and the Craze Live Soul Freak from Shoots Groove. Also there will be a limited edition 7-inch clear vinyl version of this record with only Touch and the Craze. Mayhem America, the hottest US news as it happens, beginning this week with Don K in New York. The big news still buzzing around chilly New York at the moment is EMI's abrupt decision to drop hotly tipped glamour rockers Degeneration from the label roster. The New York Daily News music columnist actually wrote a piece on the incident. In it, local radio stations insist that EMI reps told them not to play Degeneration's debut album on the air and concentrate on other EMI releases by Queensryche and Moist instead. An EMI spokesman, meanwhile, is quoted as saying that the band did not fit in with the direction of the label at this moment. The band's manager, John Goldwater, told Kerrang, The people who brought us to the label, the president and our A&R man among them, were either let go or left in the last few months. The new administration had their own agenda, which didn't include degeneration. We got the radio support, we did our own touring without money from the label, but they just had no belief in this band. Goldwater also confirmed that the band had already been made several new offers and were flying to LA at the end of the month for a showcase. 
The band hope to have something sorted out by the end of the month. Meanwhile, they haven't lost their sense of humour. During their recent show at CBGB, singer Jesse Marlin introduced a new song called EMI, Shades of the Sex Pistols, eh? Anthrax, the New York metal gods, look set to work with production duo The Butcher Brothers on their new album, tentatively titled Stomp and not Michael Beanhorn as previously intended. Michael is committed to the new Ozzy Osbourne record until May and quite frankly we can't wait that long before getting on with our record, explained slap-headed guitarist Scott Ian. We're all ready to go now and want to be in the studio as soon as possible, so we're having talks with the Butcher Brothers about working with them. In the meantime, the band have confirmed that they've signed a management deal with Hard to Handle to represent and also look after ACDC. Finally, the Fracks are hoping to have a track included on the soundtrack to the soon-come megabuck movie Judge Dredd starring Sylvester Stallone. US News Extra After months of speculation, Motley Crue have finally parted a company with Elektra Records. No new deal seems on the horizon, although the band are committed to starting work on a new album shortly. LA Guns are set to issue a new album entitled Vicious Circle through Polydor very soon and it's been recorded by the band's original lineup, vocalist Phil Lewis, guitarist Tracy Guns and Mike Cripps, bassist Kelly Nichols and drummer Steve Riley. Van Halen's new album Balance ended the US Billboard chart at number one. Steve Vai recently played a gig in LA to commemorate the 10th anniversary of comedian John Belushi's death. Tad now slimmed down to a trio following the departure of guitarist Gary Thornston will release their new album Infrared Riding Hood through Elektra at the end of April. Now we join Lisa Johnson in LA. Rockford Joyce held their annual Rock and Roll Bash in Hollywood on January the 21st celebrating the anniversary of the Roe v Wade court case in the 70s when the US Supreme Court ruled in favour of a woman's right to have a safe and legal abortion. San Francisco Freaks Primus headlined the benefit with support coming from Fishbone, Face to Face, Geraldine Fibbers, Possum Dixon, Funkster's Weapon of Choice, and another bunch of San Franciscan she-rockers Stoned Fox. In the cramped backstage area, eight bands were split between three dressing rooms. Assorted members of Fishbone and Weapon of Choice were seen pressing the flesh with porno for Pyro's top thumper Stephen Perkins, former band religion guitarist Epitaph Records head honcho Brett Guritz, Suicidal Tendencies' Rob Trujillo, No Effects' Widler Eric Melvin, Circle Jerks' Keith Morris, Hotsey Menchop from Green Jelly, and her four non-blondes' Linda Perry. Tools' Maynard Keenan joined Primus on stage for a cover of Led Zeppelin's Immigrant Song, a problem since he didn't know the words. In December, Fishbone were relieved of their contractual obligations to Columbia, but that made no difference to the thousands of fans who showed up to groove with them. And as long as there's booty in LA, Fishbone will bring the house down. A spunky set from quintessential Californian punksters face to face followed the gut-wrenching country punk of the excellent Geraldine Fibbers. The former bounce a lot, jump a lot and their songs are damn catchy. Consequently, their debut EP has already generated a radio hit single in Disconnected. Beavis, <laughs> you've never been to a concert in your life. Shut up! We now come to concerts, and the first concert reviewed this week is Caius and Underbelly, live at the Astoria 2 London, Friday, February the 3rd. Reviewed by Jason Arnott, this gets a... No, I voltage out of five. Four out of five. Amazing, isn't it? I've been doing this podcast for well over a year now, and I still, still, I just can't get the concert quite right. I don't know what's wrong with me. So there's this big bad motherfucker called Morat, right? He strides purposely into Caius's dressing room pre-show armed only with a chainsaw. The Palm Springs boys busily making a bong out of a number of nine bus look very afraid. 
The rat scribbles their set list for them, casually mentioning that their kneecaps might suffer if they don't obey. Let no one tell you that the big K ain't influential. And just to prove he was there from the beginning of their uh, careers, which he was, mind the rat chooses an obscure B-side as their opening gambit. However, this plan backfires slightly when the ferocious hurricane gets its musical legs jumbled up and crashes to a halt. This only serves to demonstrate the kind of band Kaios are. They may as well have the word real tattooed on their foreheads. The foursome just get up and play. They've frankly got all the stage presence of muesli bowls, but by Christ they sound tastier. At times tonight, it's like we're back in the 70s, lighting up and watching Sabbath jam out some heavy-osity. People are dancing, nodding, generally letting go, and but Jesus, there's our editorial highness Phil Alexander rocking back and forth like a weeble. Unfortunately, Caius' decision to play for two hours meant Underbelly were pushed back to a 7.30 kickoff, and I missed their half-hour stint. Nevertheless, word was almost unanimously good on them, and their surprisingly metallic off-EP ain't too bad at all. Back to the retro-tastic action, and with tracks like the utterly perfect Green Machine or 100 Degrees, it's no wonder folk are losing their marbles. I wish I was stoned, uh, moans one fan, illustrating the fact that herbal fags should really have been given away on the door. The security men are being kept busy in the pit, and actually let people on stage to dive occasionally. Singer John Garcia enters the crowd on a few occasions himself. Most of the time, no one seems to know exactly what Caius are playing. Then again, they're hardly the kind of band to whom song titles mean a great deal. They've probably forgotten the names themselves and the presence of new material only confuses things further. At times, it must be admitted the odd indulgence section borders on the worst moments of the 70s. It's usually a warning sign when all the instruments start playing completely different things. But such red card offences are rare and most tunes thunder along like bastard offspring of Children of the Grave or War Pigs, songs which Caius would dearly love to have penned. They're doing pretty damn swell regardless. When you take into account their non-existent record company support, tonight's sold out Sabbathathon is little short of a triumph. Generals gather in their masses and rock. The next concert review is Misery Loves Company live at the Studio Stockholm, Thursday, February the 2nd, reviewed by Jason Arnott. This gets high voltage out of five, four out of five. I Swallow Bellows Misery Loves Company's Patrick Viren. A bizarre statement on the face of it until you realise it's the title of their opening mountain of rumbling distortion. The Swedes are a computer-dominated two-piece on record, but the live assault is delivered by Patrick, guitarist Orjan Onklo, and three suitably hard-looking hired hands. Like Nine Inch Nails or Ministry, Misery Loves Company are far from the static bore fest you might expect them to be in this environment. All five members are well into it, and Patrick smashes his water bottle on the ground during the first 30 seconds, spraying the quickly gathering onlookers. They're gathering despite the fact that Misery are merely supporting fellow countryman Barry Beats Jane tonight. It's nice to find a strong new band in the field of industrial, an area which uh, had started to wane in the last year. The only way erupts gloriously, a piece of classic runaway train speed in the vein of discharge. The stage here is roughly two feet high, yet people are still jumping off like lemmings. Kiss Your Boots follows achieving an even higher level of dynamics than its album counterpart, as Patrick maniacally growls, I wanna smash your face. His voice is equally clear as it is on record, and Misery maintain the intensity right up until the final, My Mind Still Speaks. Misery Loves Company are offering no great musical revolution. They're simply an excellent example of modern hard sound played well. You can shovel out molten chunks of Fear Factory pitch shifter ministry and Godflesh from the noise, but little that Misery have stolen outright. On occasions, they come up with something downright ear-opening. The snow is starting to melt outside the venue.
Next up, we have Hootie and the Blowfish, live at the Covent Garden Roadhouse, London, Monday, January the 30th. Reviewed by Paul Elliott, this gets high voltage out of 5, 4 out of 5. Weird name, but there's nothing too weird about Hootie and the Blowfish's music. This is classic mainstream American rock, deep in soul and rich in tradition. For great songs, this Bunch's first album, Cracked Rear View, may not be equaled this year, it's that good. This wasn't an easy gig for their British live debut. The crowd was a pack of music biz faces swilling free beer and munching free bar snacks, served from huge platters by roving waitresses. But there's no bullshit about the quartet's music. Imagine counting crows really loosening up and you have a good idea where Hootie and the Blowfish are coming from. Darius Rucker is the main man, a black guy with a tatty baseball cap, an acoustic guitar and a big warm voice. Rucker is unaffected but a major league player and the music just seems to pour out of him. Hootie and the Blowfish ain't metal by a long chalk, but if you dig Counting Crows, the Jayhawks, the Black Crows, any band with a bird in its name, really, you'll love this lot. It's rock and roll with soul. Check it out. We now come to this week's cover star, Slash, Suicide, Lies, Axel, Snakes, Heavy Metal. Guns N' Roses Axeman Slash goes solo and reveals all to Sylvie Simmons. I can't wait to get out of here. It's been a year since we've been off the road slash size. We is of course Guns N' Roses. We did two years of touring so I guess we deserve to be off the road. But you know me smiles. If I'm not playing, I get into trouble. When Guns got off the road a year ago, what slash calls post tour depression sank its fangs into him. In the past, he'd ease it with drink and drugs. This time, the guitarist went into the studio. He'd built one in his house in the Hollywood Hills right next door to the snake pit. The Serpentarium where he keeps his pet snakes. Guns drummer Matt Sorum came over every night to help him lay down basic tracks. It had already been three years since GNR had recorded any new material. The epic Use Your Illusion albums back in 91 and Slash was determined that this time there'd be no pissing around. Illusion had almost broken up the band. It was years in the making, beset by Rux, original drummer Steven Adler was fired, lawsuits and arrests. Axel for allegedly beating up a female neighbour, ex-guitarist Izzy Stradlin for pissing in an aeroplane aisle and the whole band for inciting riots. The best way to keep the band together slash reason was to get them back to doing what a band's supposed to do, make music. Nice in theory, but he didn't reckon on the earthquake, the tremor that shook LA to its core last January, ripping Slash's house and studio to pieces. He's currently renting, his 300 snakes are housed in a warehouse in the LA suburbs while it's being rebuilt. Worse still, a new series of aftershocks ravaged GNR. More firings, ribbon guitarist Gilby Clark, more arrests, Matt Sorum allegedly for wife beating, and yet more lawsuits, Stephen Adler took the band to court over his dismissal, while Axel's ex-wife Erin Everly and ex-fiancé Stephanie Seymour both accused the singer of violence. And there was another small problem, Axel didn't like Slash's songs. I always said I had no intention um, and no reason to do a solo record Slash Reflex. In the back of my head I still didn't know what direction Guns was going in. But with my positive approach to everything I was just hoping that this stuff would bring Guns back to a place where I felt more comfortable musically. But I was turned down flat by Axel on the material. So it was like, okay, now what do I do with it? Which brings us to Snake Pit and it's 5 o'clock somewhere. Knowing better than to wait for Axel to come around Slash said fuck it I'll make a solo album. He put together a ballsy hard rock band with Matt Sorum on drums, Gilby Clark on rhythm guitar, Mike Nez of Alison Chains on bass and Eric Dover of the funk band Jellyfish on lead vocals. It's what I think a rock and roll band is all about. Meaning Guns has ceased to be what he thinks a rock and roll band is all about? Slash stares out of the window of his LA record company office. Porsches and Mercedes glide by on Sunset Boulevard down below. 
I love guns with a passion, he answers. I just got to the point where, after two band member changes, ballads about Stephanie, multi-million dollar videos, the whole fucking cabaret thing that went on on stage, I just went, there's too much going on. The basic tracks for the Illusion albums, I have the original tapes, they're just raw. You'd have loved them. I think they had a lot more impact than how they came out on the record, all glossed over. A lot of time went by after the basics for that album were done. The stuff was very stripped down, and then a year later we were using up 72 tracks. 24 tracks of band and 48 tracks of something else altogether. That's why we ended up with all that Las Vegas crap going on the road. So we were able to reproduce songs like Live and Let Die and November Rain. That's Axel's choice. What did Axel say when he turned down the songs? He just wasn't into it. Now he wants the songs back and we've sort of got this pending situation. He was going to sue me. He just thought that the songs were rightfully Gunses because they were written with the intention of being gun songs. I was hoping they would be gun songs. He can't sue me for that. It wasn't until later that he wanted them back, but at that point I'd got this band together and my focus had shifted completely from guns for a while. The best way to put the dichotomy of the GNI existence at this point slash theorises is that guns is the sum of its parts. It's interesting to see it stripped down like it has been with the solo albums, to see where Izzy's influence came in with the stone stuff and Duff's with the punk stuff and where mine came in. I would love for Axel to do a solo record just on that premise alone. Snake Pit originally started out as being just the pairing of Slash and Matt. Then Gilby got involved after the whole GNR ordeal and Mike Inez popped up because he wasn't doing anything and we had a band. We recorded the basic tracks but we couldn't find the right singer. In the afternoons I was going for vocal lessons because I thought I'd have to sing on it but I realised that I don't have the personality to be a frontman. I can sing, my voice is kind of gritty but it's okay but I'm too shy. When I sang that T-Rex song on a spaghetti incident, I put paper over the glass in the studio so the engineer couldn't see me. Slash tried out a bunch of singers, including ex-choir boy Spike and Ron Young of Manic Edom. Then Gilby's drummer told him about Eric Dover. He sent this tape over. It was like very slow, Lenny Kravitz style with a bit of Steven Tyler. I loved his voice, but it wasn't the right music. So he came over to the studio and I gave him the basic track of Beggars and Hangers On. He wrote the lyrics and it was killer. It's his first record as the lead singer too. He was the guitarist with Jellyfish, so it's got that real urgency to it. And it's Slash's first time as a lyric writer. Axel's such a good lyricist that I never really got involved. I had a good time doing it. I don't have any fucking traumatic things going on in my life, so I don't take everything so seriously. And I'm not so self-involved that I write personal lyrics. Most of it was tongue-in-cheek. But there are also two tracks about suicide. For some reason, those suicide songs keep coming up whenever I do press. Uh, slash shrugs. The general climate of music these days is so fucking depressing. I've gone through so many ups and downs in guns plus the drug stuff, but you get through it. I've been really close to being dead a few times. I never really cared, but I've woken up in hospital with everybody else freaked out. And to this day, I get depressed when there's nothing going on, unless I've got things to do that are productive. But these other guys in bands right now, they just don't have anything to whine about that I can see. They just thrive on the negative aspects in life, so the only way they have of expressing themselves is whining like a fucking baby. I picked up a record the other day and listened to it in my car, and I could only get through three songs because it made the whole fucking evening so dismal. My songs about suicide have a more positive outlook. At least they try to keep someone from doing it, compared to somebody like Tool he loves, which is really depressing stuff. Slash is currently setting up a snakebit tour between April and July, assuming that he's got a band to tour with, that is. The funniest thing about this group is it's all these guys from different bands, so I've been rooting a tour without really knowing who'll be able to do it, but I really want to take the original band out. Obviously Matt and I come as a package, whatever I do with Guns or Snakebit, he falls in with, 
because if I'm not there, Guns can't do anything. Unless Axel makes some sort of stipulation that I have to get another drummer. But the last thing I want to go through is what I've just gone through with Guns and replaced the fucking sideband too. While Gilby's been on the road plugging his own solo record, Pawn Shop Guitars, Slash has been jamming with Pride and Glory ex-Aussie guitarist Zach Wild. It sounds like Guns and Aussie Slash laughs. Zach's a great friend of mine. We play a lot alike. I thought I was heavy, but he's even heavier. That's like an extreme from Steven Adler and Izzy to Gilby and Zach and Matt. It makes your head spin. It's like one of those carousels in the park that you run with, and after it gets to a certain speed, you can't grab on. But we've managed to get Snake Pit this far, so we'll just see what happens. I'm so happy doing this, because with some of the pointless goings on that seem to be inevitable with GNR, at least I have this thing to keep me grounded. It's therapy. They're going to be playing medium-sized clubs. It's sort of like when Guns played the Marquee Reckon Slash, but does he worry him that the other Guns solo projects Izzy, Duff, Gilby sold dismally? I wonder about that. Duff's I don't think was taken that seriously, same with Izzy. When you're in Guns, you think just because you're in a member of this big huge thing, people will automatically flock to it. That's why I'm working to get the record as much exposure as possible. I want to take out some friends to support and play with and have a good time, but I won't name names yet. So it doesn't look like Gilby's band will be opening after all. After a couple of nights, we'll have um, regretted making that decision anyway, snort slash. I told Renee, we're taking a tour bus and she's like, a tour bus? You're spoiled. As long as she's known me with guns, it has always been aeroplanes. Slash is so eager to get back on the road again, I've got a sinking feeling he's going to run out the door and flag down the next Mercedes. Best get in a final question. Since he's having such a good time with Snake Pit, how the hell will he be able to go back to the madness that is guns? Because Gunsy says without hesitation, is the original band where my heart lies. I'm a very loyal member and friend to the other guys in the band, regardless of whatever chaotic shit happens in the process. I just wanted to get this off my chest while things were looking a little confusing to me. With Snake Pit, I got away from all the absurd self-indulgence of guns. It was a shot in the arm for me to be able to look at life from a perspective that I always thought was right anyway. I love the whole ground zero approach this band has. Having to start from the bottom again, I feel more comfortable on the street now just hanging around. People don't seem to be as scary as they used to be when they come up to you. With guns, it had become this huge gargantuan machine and there's nothing you can do about it. It's sort of depressing. You end up hiding away and hardly going anywhere. But now I don't feel any of that. Rockstar persona. It reminds me of when guns first got signed, he grins. It's great. Communication now and letter of the week this week begins. I've just had a terrible dream. It's late 1995 and Terrorvision have just scooped the award for best band in the world at the Smash Hits Awards. This comes after the band having a number one hit with their cover of PJ and Duncan's Let's Get Ready to Rumble. Terrorvision bring out their third album and announce a full UK tour, a triple bill affair with Take That and EYC as support. Before the tour kicks off, Tony Wright decides to make a few changes within the band. Shutty and Lee get fired, drum machines and synthesizers are brought in and it gets worse. Mark Yates quits the band to fill a vacant spot in TV's world apart claiming that it's what he's always wanted to do. Tony realises his mistake but alas it's all too late. For the forthcoming tour he hires E17 for backing vocals and dance routines. Tony insists on playing seated venues only for safety reasons and the fans respect him for being so thoughtful. By now, the band have conquered the world and sit back and laugh as Take That try and win some fans by wearing silver suits and using doo-wop lyrics. The worst thing about all this is my dreams have a habit of coming true. Worried television fan leads. Calm your nerves with this Kerrang! Cap. Editor. 
I was disgusted to see Lemmy playing Ace of Spades on television recently without his band. We all know who really writes Motorhead's music. If it wasn't for the rest of the band, he wouldn't be around today. It's time he started treating his band like a decent human. Pissed off Motorhead fan, London. A message to all pussy Marlboro smoking glam rockers. Fuck you. Here's our ideas to ail the rapidly decreasing world of metal and help get uh, rid of the shit that embarrasses the whole scene. One, isn't it about time that the Black Crows died of a drug overdose? Two, why was Pamela Anderson shagging a sad glam rocking, bandana wearing, sissy bastard from a pretty boy outfit poison when she could have been having muff diving sessions with my mum? Three, here starts the No Pussies for Donington 95 appeal. All donations to Pantera and Metallica. Four, to assholes who write into Kerrang, stop getting a bone on over a long or short hair. Who gives a dick? Five, swap the time slots of Top of the Pops and noisy mothers around. Ears to tits, violence and grungesters. The Salad Foundation from Oldham. Gagging for a shagging. Our mate Simon Ramsey is so desperate that he goes around wearing this t-shirt. Uh, in the picture is uh, Simon Ramsey in a gagging for a shagging t-shirt. It hasn't worked yet, but national coverage may help his cause. We wish him luck. It's definitely needed. Emma and Sonia from Chester. ACDC rumoured to be headlining Donington. Yeah, right. Have ACDC escaped the old people's home then? Donington 95 should belong to Paradise Lost, the best band in Britain. Nick Holmes' mic stand, Ashford. It's really starting to piss me off with all this shit every week about Guns N' Roses. I couldn't give a toss if they are close to breaking up or if Axel is pissed off with his so-called stepbrother. The best news of this year would be if they all disappeared off the face of the earth. You should try printing more important information on Maiden and the Mac lads. I know the Macs aren't exactly metal, but they totally kick ass in whatever league they belong to. Stephen Pedrick, Shrewsbury. I don't see why you can have all this stuff about Guns N' Roses in Kerrang and not even print a picture of Matt Sorum. He's the fittest member in the band and I would like to see a very large poster of him on his own. If you don't, I will personally hire Guns N' Roses to beat you up. Matt's lucky drumsticks, Berry. While reading Kerrang 5.30, I was also listening to Nirvana's In Utero and looking at the inlay card, I noticed the name, Tarantino Quintin, amongst the special thanks section. Were Nirvana secret fans? Did Tarantino films influence the band in any way? Had Kurt watched one film too many by April 94? Nick, Siren Sister. For Christ's sake, stop calling therapy and ash oinks and paddies. You'd never call body count n-words or anything equally racist. So give it a break, you limey gits. Nine and Trez, County Down. A word of warning to anyone who is planning to buy the new Extreme album. Don't. It is probably the worst album I've ever heard. What the hell Extreme thought they were doing, I have no idea. It is Z-grade grunge and the worst. I can see Extreme getting dropped. The last album may have been pompous and self-indulgent, but at least some of it was good. But now, waiting for the punchline, waiting for the dole line more like. Marty Dodge, Guildford. Holy shit, I've just heard Extreme's new album. It kicks butt. At least they've done themselves justice. Well, it will shut the critics up for a week or two. But what's different is that it's obvious that this is not Nuno and Gary pissing around anymore. This is Extreme. Instead of Nuno amazing us with intricate guitar pieces, you are wowed by Pat's awesome bass playing, some shit hot drumming and screeching vocals. If you hate Extreme, you'll still love this. So put your prejudices aside and listen. You'll find the record speaks or rather shouts for itself. Lee from Winchester. Ill communication. 
The posters in Kerrang this week are of Skid Row, Caius and Queensrack. Nothing that interested me in 1995, but some stuff that might interest me now in 2022 when recording this. Anyway, let's move on to singles. The singles this week are reviewed by Paul Brannigan. First single is Not For You by Pearl Jam, and this gets 4Ks. Serious muso pretension alert. The previously unreleased Out of My Mind is billed as a live improv. This must translate for you and I a second-rate Neil Young impression. Not For You is much better. A building epic with a big punky thrash chorus wherein Happy Eddie vents his spleen against corporate bloodsuckers, industry scum and people who enjoyed life. Probably. The next thing reviewed is Hold My Hand by Hootie and the Blowfish. This gets 2Ks. Oi, Hootie, no. This is horrid soul rock toss and the band were probably chosen for their ability to create torturous grimaces in the way of all soul men. The next single is Self Esteem by Offspring. This gets 4Ks. Taken from the aptly named Smash album, Self Esteem is wonderfully infectious sing-along playground punk from the Orange County Dudes. The B-sides are no less charming, gawky lovable blasts of nerd riffarama, worth buying just to see a man called Noodles on top of the pops. Next up we have Cruel by Headswim. This gets 3Ks. Is this new man metal week or something? Cruel is a haunting slow burning grower while Morning Sun is all fragile and skeletal with curious doors overtones. Not the Essex boys' greatest moments. Single of the week this week comes from Girls Against Boys Kill the Sex Player. Uh, this gets 5Ks. Pay attention wannabe rock gods. Listen and learn, observe the way the basses fall about like a drunk on a polished staircase. Marvel at the horny driving grooves, drown in Scott McLeod's vicious nicotine rasp. This song is so hip right now, I want to kill the singer. Witness frazzled live slabs of genius, which are dirtier than Satan's toilet, and don't even think about touching the sex player, ever, or else. Next up in Kerrang, we have a piece entitled Lummy, it's Radio Bruce. First it was Eddie Vedder and Radio Eddie. Now Bruce Dickinson is playing at DJ with his new punk rock buddies Bad Religion. Ray Zell reports. Tuned in, turned on, that's our Brucey. Bruce Dickinson, former Iron Maiden frontman turned solo artist, is currently, in case you've had your antenna pointed in some other direction, cruising in overdrive into his 13-week stint as a DJ on Radio 1FM, Tuesday evenings 9 till 10 kids, and with the aplomb of one, not a stranger to a challenge, he's bleeding loving it. The show is actually beamed at you from Manchester, but on this particular locational report from yours truly, Bruce and his absolutely lovely producer Wendy Pilmer are down at the BBC recording studios in London's Maida Vale. DJ Bruce has to record his chat links with seminal US hardcore heroes Bad Religion between their live studio session takes. Note, this stuff is not edited in later. Our boys in the ring with them, cans on noggin as they play. But before recording gets underway, the religion lads swarm around Bruce asking him to sign anything Ink will adhere to. Then the band shove a guitar into a bemused but amused Bruce's hands for him to knight them with where someone takes a picky to freeze the hallowed moment. I've been an Iron Maiden fan for years and years, BR guitarist Brian Baker says proudly. The stereotype with punk rock is that you're only supposed to like punk, 
To me, punk rock is about being open-minded and Bruce Dickinson is a pretty amazing person to me. It's fucking cool and I don't care if I make an ass out of myself. So just how did Bruce the rock star come fencer, come pilot, come author, come screenplay writer, come forces sweetheart, come to add the profession of DJ to his CV? Well, Bruce got a taste of airwave action when he narrated the Sony award-nominated History of Heavy Metal documentary, which first saw him team up with producer Wendy. Bruce laughs, she must have seen me on TV on that arena thing where I was talking about Gene Simmons' boots and thought, this poke can string a couple of sentences together. When they first asked me to do this show, I said, as long as I can play what I want, yeah? Wendy and I listen to tons of CDs, and by the end of the week, we have a could play pile and a possibly play pile. And generally, there's a couple of tracks that come into the must play category. But there's no limit to it in terms of the cred of the band or stature. In fact, our only real bias is I can honestly say there is no real point in playing something by Bon Jovi. Because you can hear the buggers anywhere? Exactly. It's cool that you can have live bands in session. Well, at first we thought we weren't going to be able to get it, but now every other show has a session. And Bruce is quick to point out that he does all his own disc slinging. I'm doing all the desk shit, yeah. And believe me, he inhales with gusto. When you hit that button, Bruce pauses, eyes wide. You have the power. You're fucking right, man. It's all about energy. Like, when you were talking with Bad Religion, you were given an instruction to quickly wind things up and to include an introduction of each band member. Obviously, only you could hear that in your phones and in mid-sentence, you have to both acknowledge the command and calculate your next move. The first time it happened, I almost went, shut up, Bruce chuckles. That must be what's happening on TV when you see a presenter look momentarily glazed. And I noticed that you dashed into the studio today, met the band, then sat down to scribble your own notes. No, here's your pre-prepared questions on a clipboard, Mr. Dickinson. Oh, no, no. I'm totally independent, he infuses. It's mine and Wendy's show. She's the producer and I'm the bloke who opens his gob. Even if we pre-record, we pre-record live, he stresses. We don't sit and snip at it all. Well, I like the way the Bad Religion interview got a little heated. Bruce tackled vocalist Greg Graffin over a remark he reputedly made in The Enemy about 80% of people being stupid. It was real. Exactly, he beams. You really get the measure of somebody. It adds to the passion. And I don't know whether it was me, but he gleefully points out, I think they played Infected with just a bit more fucking bite after that. Greg Graffin had to shoot straight off to the airport after the session, but I grabbed religion guitarist Greg, the other one, Hetson, and relative new recruit Brian Baker. Bad Religion are flogging their umpteenth album Stranger Than Fiction and first ever British single The Punchy and Hoogie, 21st Century Digital Boy. Lankhead and Bespectacled Brian offers the band's history in a nutshell. Band Religion formed in 1980 in Greg, our singer's garage, put an album out in about 82 and 83 and a whole bunch of shit since. We've been coming to England since 89, adds the shrew like Greg. First there'd be 200 people, then 400, and the last time we sold out the Astoria. But no one's really picked up on us in the mainstream press, so the masses haven't heard of us. Brian, England is, I believe, where we're least known. We sell more in Finland. It's a wacky business, shrugs Greg. Go figure. You obviously aren't bothered by being labelled punk. Greg, no, although we could call ourselves agro-pop or melodic hardcore. Brian, absolutely, danceable, always drinkable. So it's true, you stick at something long enough. Yeah, it comes back again, preempts Greg. Perseverance or stupidity is the way I look at it. If life gives you lemons, make lemonade. We do punk rock. Later in the canteen, Bruce is strangely reluctant to expand on the subject of the multifaceted Bruce Dickinson. 
He abruptly squashes a recent rumour that he had indeed completed a third novel of his Lord Iffy boat race character. No, do me a favour, when would I have the time? As a matter of fact, he concedes, we just did a new record company biography where we've removed references to everything except music. A musician, singer, whatever, that's what I am. Everything else is peripheral. Yeah, but acknowledging your extra dimensions isn't selling you short. It has its interest value. I'm sure it has, but I've got so suspicious and fucked off at people sneering, bitching and taking the piss, I'm the last person to wander around taking myself mega seriously, trying to portray myself as author, statesman, poet, whatever. I mean, my band have got 18 songs written for a new studio album. Tonight I'll go down to rehearsals for three to four hours and then I'll go home and sack out with a beer and watch Cell Block H or something. Then that's me done. The thing that's different from 10 years ago is I've got a family now. They occupy all the space. I'm not really a big one for I wish I'd done that different announces Bruce the Realist. What's done is done. Even looking back at the Maiden stuff. People say that was a daft lyric and maybe at the time I was wearing silly trousers but at the time I thought they were cool so fuck you. Basically we're heavy metal aren't we? We made a record it's so heavy you couldn't get off the turntable. Albums now and the album of the week this week is Man and Goat Alike by Blow. Uh, this is reviewed by Dave Reynolds and this gets 4Ks. Just before we begin, Blow is spelled B.L.O.W. I don't know if that stands for anything. I've looked it up online and I can't really find anything. Um, I'm not going to call them B.L.O.W for the sake of this um, <laughs> review because that's just going to take forever and this podcast will probably end up being two hours long. So I'm going to call them Blow. If I've got that wrong, can someone please write in and let me know? Thank you very much. The transformation is amazing. Who would have thought that the bunch of musicians who took their first tentative steps with a series of gigs last autumn, gigs which seemed no more than rather enjoyable jam sessions between a bunch of mates after releasing a successful but unspectacular demo, could concoct as fine a gem as this. An outfit formed by the ex-Little Angels pairing of guitarist Bruce John Dickinson and his keyboard-playing brother Jimmy, alongside one-time no-sweat guitarist turned frontman Dave Gooding. Blow are now very much a fully charged band, with the addition of bassist Nicky Boys and the Dickinson's brother's old chum Mark Richardson on drums. The bizarrely titled Man and Goat Alike doesn't mess about. It hits you with hurricane force thanks to opening cut handful of nails featuring the man who wasn't there, a raunchy slice of Lenny Kravitz style groove and ZZ Top Blues. Strong stuff. Good shagging music according to one cottage industry insider. Blow really put all they've got into it and even manage a metaphorical drag on a cigarette after the track climaxes. Thanks to the sultry The Man Who Wasn't There feature. Surreal. The ghosts of Little Angels have been well and truly exercised. This thing is far removed from any corporate vibe and a big push for hit singles. But more than a few A&R men will be drooling and then kicking themselves in the ass for letting this one slip through the net. Particularly where Humble Pie and who composed that song, the jewels in the blow crown are concerned. Bruce shreds on the former, his guitar as dirty as the vibe is organic. This is like Southern Rock reinvented. Who composed is more laid back, gloriously so. It soothes with pure soul, punctuated with bursts of colour from Jim's keyboards. And Dave Gooding, a quiet man off stage but awesome on it, sounds like Seal, just as on If, a track with a certain amount of Pink Floyd in its bones. 
In fact, the whole album has you trying to recognise the pieces of the blow jigsaw, like Bruce's Jimmy Page-isms on Bump It and the colossal Zeppelin-ish goth metal of Dread Indian Blues. It's all very eclectic, influences be damned, this is blow and it's a great start. It's also great value for money into the bargain, a mini album of some 45 minutes in length if you include the hidden and uncredited track Hesitation Blues tacked on the end for good measure. Good effort. The next review is for Black by Lita Ford, reviewed by Razel Disket 2Ks. Top Kerrang readers is Babe for Eons with Sweet Lita, but what's this? A cheapo grainy shot of the blonde bombshell with no arse aimed at camera or tits out for the lads. A new mature image we wonder. Hope it's not some cunning ploy for us to be forced into taking her music more seriously. Who handed over the money for the recording of this? Who the hell oversees these projects? Black is colourless. Never leaves the launch pad, stale, an album full of slow rockers, AOR mid-tempo tripe and throwaway ballads where Lita groans with anguish over retarded metal riffs. The concept of the title track with its rhetoric on the sinister non-colour is the nearest thing to an actual idea on the record. And reckons she on the pseudo blues of white lightning, I was born to a gypsy woman with lightning crashing all around my crib, please, no. Is this really the same Lita who half her lifetime ago was lead guitarist of teen bitch moist metal fantasy The Runaways and created planet shattering rockers like Neon Angels on the Road to Ruin? Lita has lost the plot, buried the blueprint, torched the dream and don't give me no shit about age. The more experienced they get, the better you fuck. Once a rocker, always a rocker. Death to false metal, no wimps. The warriors of the apocalypse shall reign supreme. Um, I wasn't too fond of this particular release, by the way. The next review is for the best punk album in the world ever by Various, reviewed by Razel This Gets 4Ks. Well, yeah, the title could be tarred and feathered as somewhat tenuous, considering a good percent of this double CD's power pop, synth, and RT contents, but the more mercurial new wave stamp doesn't quite carry the weight or impact of what that hoard to hell grubby little term punk does it. Nah. So to sneer a positive yes to the damned, the pistols, the Ramones, the ruts and stiff little fingers and to spit contemptuously at Blondie and XTC is all a part of the unintentional concept here. It's a period piece spanning 75 to 85 for you to either mock or appreciate because your original needle scarred and beer stained vinyl 45 of the Rosillo's top of the pops farts, hiccups and last 6 seconds. Ah, but the purists will tut and bore you with There Ain't No Clash and people like me will complain about the omission of, say, Chinese rocks by the Heartbreakers. But whatever. Buy it, hide it at the back of your collection if you're ashamed of it, but bung it on when the kids are at a gig and you fancy a private pogo. The last review for this week is for two albums by the same band. So we get here, 1039 Smoothed Out Slappy Hours and Kaplunk, both by Green Day. This review is by Paul Travers. 1039 Smoothed Out Slappy Hours gets 3Ks and Kaplunk gets 4Ks. A lot of people have been putting Green Day down recently. Chris Robinson, for example, expressed a widely held opinion that they are somehow fake. Yet to the best of anyone's knowledge, they've never pretended to be anything they're not and as these re-releases prove, they've been making the same irreverent, irrelevant racket for the last five years at least. If the public's embracement of them is in any way a reaction to the turgid, retro squawkings churned out by the likes of the Black Crows and the entire grunge nation, then uh, so much the better. 
1039 Smooth out Slappy Hours comprises, as you'd expect, their first album, 39 Smooth, plus the early Slappy and 1000 Hours EPs. It's exactly the same formula as Green Day use now. Cheery two-minute pop-punk nuggets that stick to you like spunk in the bath. There's nothing as absolutely pop-tabulous as Basket Case or Welcome to Paradise, which originally appeared on Kaplunk, but if you love Dookie, then this is definitely your thing. Kaplunk continues in the same vein, but with marginally better songs and a little more variety. It's not exactly diverse, but Words I Might Have Ate is an acoustic knockabout, dominated Love Slave at cheesy country and western piss take, and there are generally more changes of pace than on the first LP. You also get a Skeen Records EP tacked on the end of this one, which is tinny of sound, but does a bouncy rendition of the Who's My Generation. Not every tune here is tip-top quality, but there are more than enough gems to have you whistling in that same spunky bath until you look like a prune. Also, Green Day piss off all those old punkers, which is great. Punk rock is too precious anyhow, and Green Day are simply having too much fun to ignore. Chart Attack now, and the number one album this week is Waiting for the Punchline by Extreme. Number one in the indie LPs is Burn My Eyes Machine Head, and number one in the singles chart is 21st Century Digital Boy by Bad Religion. The reader's chart this week comes from Andrew Stevenson from Great Yarmouth. His chart begins one Rapid Fire Judas Priest, two No Remorse Metallica, three The Hunt Sepultura, four TV Crimes Black Sabbath, five Sabotage Beastie Boys, six Behind the Crooked Cross Slayer, 7 Victim of Changes Live Judas Priest, 8 Fear of the Dark Maiden, 9 Between the Hammer and the Anvil Judas Priest and 10 Creeping Death Live Metallica. Star Trek this week comes from Greg Hetson of Mad Religion. His chart begins 1 Chocolate and Cheese Ween, 2 Weezer Weezer, 3 History of Rhythm and Blues Various, 4 Instant Collection Monty Python and 5 Kings of Metal by Man of War. Next week in Kerrang Back Issues, Metal Goes to the Movies. Soundtracks, Sex and Violence, starring Natural Born Killers, Does Metal Mean Murder, the classic rock soundtracks, rock stars who want to be actors, plus Saxon, Censor, Dub War, Skid Row, White Zombie, Queensryche and an all-star cast of thousands. Thank you so much for listening, we'll be back next Wednesday and I hope you're all doing well out there, I hope this finds you well, I hope you're all having a lovely time. Um, and yeah, I'll be back next week. So talk to you all then. Bye for now.